Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Over the last year, at least 19 states passed laws making it harder to vote. Among other measures, we see stricter voter ID requirements and limits on early voting and voting by mail. President Biden calls this the biggest test of American democracy since the Civil War and says we must have national standards to override these recent state laws. Our next guest is pushing for voting rights in an entirely different way. Since January 6th, Reverend Otis Moss III has been on a hunger strike with two dozen religious leaders from around the country. He's the pastor of Trinity United Church of Christ on Chicago's South Side. And for him, the stakes were too high to stand idly by. The stakes are high because the current laws that have been put in place by states across the country. I'm currently in in Georgia right now, and the laws that were put in place by state legislatures are disenfranchising so many people of color. Uh, You mentioned at the beginning uh, everything from removing polling places to early voting, in-person voting, mail-in voting is really disenfranchising uh, a large portion of the electorate. Uh, Since people of African descent arrived in this country, we have been attempting to push America to live up to its promises. One of the simple constitutional promises is the idea of the right to vote. And the John Lewis uh, Voting Rights Advancement Act is one piece of legislation uh, that will ensure there is a national framework uh, that no one vote can be suppressed, removed, pushed aside, or marginalized. And you want to see Congress pass voting rights legislation by Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is Monday, January 17th. Absolutely. Uh, we're asking for uh, legislators to, to stand up. We, we need President Biden and Vice President Harris to stand up and do not come to someone's church or organization and say you remember Dr. King while at the same time dismembering the legacy of Dr. King by removing voting rights of people across this country. So how are you doing? You're you're six days into your strike. Are you okay? (laughs) I'm doing all right. Obviously, you know, tired and getting those those headaches, Mm -hmm. but uh, strengthened by the sisters and brothers uh, who are joining with us, the 24 initial, and now more people uh, who are joining in, uh, not just for the hunger strike, but uh, who are calling on their legislators. And that's what I want to say to everyone on, on the show. Uh, for you to call uh, your representative, to call your senator. Do they support uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act? Uh, Do they uh, support the Freedom to Vote Act? If you have uh, relatives in West Virginia and Arizona, call those relatives and say that this is not a partisan issue. Voting should never be a partisan issue. This is about maintaining our democracy for the next generation. Let's talk about January 6th. That's when you, you started your strike on, on the anniversary. What's the significance of that uh, attack, and, and why did you stop eating on that day? Well, that was an attack on, on our democracy. That was an insurrection uh, that was in many ways fed by 
uh, Confederate mythos that has been floating through our civic society for quite some time. And we thought that it would be important as a statement uh, the moment that democracy was attacked, uh, that the community, uh, faith leaders, especially those in the black church, in the progressive wing of the black church, would come together and say that for years we have pushed for voting rights. And and what's very interesting is that uh, people of African descent, many of them, have not had full enfranchisement in this country since 1965. And we need to be very aware of the thing that our democracy is fragile. And we saw that on January 6th. And we believe that people uh, who are uh, morally rooted, who recognize how important voting rights are to this country, stand up and speak. If I may share a story, uh, my grandfather, Otis Moss Sr., was denied the right to vote in 1947 in Georgia. He walked to three polling places. We even created a movie around it entitled Otis's Dream. Uh, at each polling place, uh, he was met with racist language, and he was a sharecropper and a World War II veteran and never had the opportunity to vote. The then governor, Governor Talmadge, was stating that he wanted to ensure voter integrity and make sure that there was no Negro fraud to ensure that uh, Negroes would not vote. But my grandfather, a sharecropper, believed that if he could serve this country, he should also have the right to vote in this country, and it should not be denied. He died before he had the opportunity to vote, but he passed that legacy on to my father and to myself, and I passed that on to my children. So we we talked about this a little bit before you touched on them. There are a couple of pieces of legislation that we could see passed if the filibuster is lifted. Now, regardless of which exact package is voted on, let's talk about the ones you think are are the most important measures that the Mm -hmm. nation put in place. Uh, You you already talked about the John Lewis Voting Mm -hmm. Rights Advancement Act, right? That's the one that replaces the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Correct. That uh, was struck down in in 2013 by the Supreme Court. Talk to me about the Freedom to Vote Act. Uh, The Freedom to Vote Act, which is already put before uh, the Senate, Uh, which would create a national framework in terms of voting, uh, the idea of mail-in voting, polling places. What is the national structure uh, that you would have uh, the ability to be able to vote if you speak a different language to have the translation of information? Some very basic ideas with the Freedom to Vote Act that would then be national legislation versus states making the decision. And states' rights, which has been used, especially post-Civil War and during the Reconstruction era, post-Reconstruction, to thwart any type of voting rights advancements uh, for people who are not landowners, who are not white, uh, who are not men, uh, that states' rights has always been the language or the code to say that we want to restrict certain people's right to vote. As you continue your strike, Reverend, who's on your mind? Is it uh, folks like Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis? It's my grandfather um, who died in an automobile accident several months before he was going to be able to cast a vote. He, he was denied the first time. He was hoping to have the opportunity the next time. Uh, it is uh, Henry Peg Gilbert, uh, who is my cousin, who was uh, beaten and lynched in 1948 because he owned land and he also believed in the right Uh, to vote. 
it is people like James Orange, who was an amazing organizer in Atlanta, who worked with John Lewis, Andrew Young, and Martin Luther King Jr., who used to organize students and tell them, you know you're a leader. You've got to stand up and be a leader. I remember when he was an elder coming on Morehouse's campus and pulling us together and saying, hey, leader, uh, it's your job to take hold of, of this baton. Those are the people where my mind rests. My mind rests on Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, who is probably one of the greatest organizers we have, we've ever witnessed mm-hmm. uh, in Mississippi. And what she was able to accomplish and literally just about shut down the Democratic National Convention uh, because she dared organize people in Mississippi to claim uh, the right to vote. Our ancestors are numerous, and they are calling upon us to stand up and hold to this legacy, because whenever black people push for voting rights, it always blesses everyone in the nation. We're not just about democracy for some, we're about democracy for all. Uh, Reverend, President Biden described Georgia as, quote, the belly of the beast, ground zero for voter suppression. People there can now be charged with a crime for handing out water or snacks to the voters who are waiting in line at the polls. What do you make of that? I think it's continual. Uh, it's, it's part of the process that has been happening in this country, again, since the uh, people of African descent have arrived. States' rights, the state legislature of, of Georgia, when Stacey Abrams ran for governor, there was a voter purge. I want, I want the listeners to know this. There was a voter purge of almost 200,000 people who were eligible to vote. Their votes were thrown out. Stacey Abrams lost by 80,000 votes. These type of actions have to be removed. We need a national framework to protect everyone's right to vote. Otherwise, we will cease to be a democracy. And Georgia's not alone. There, there are many states that have passed laws restricting voting rights. Uh, let's go through some of them. Texas, uh, they've mm-hmm. made it harder for people with uh, language barriers or disabilities to get help casting their ballot. Uh, Florida as well. They passed a, a broad package of legislation uh, that's limiting voting access. And let's be honest about why these laws are being passed. There's a shifting demographic, and there are certain political parties that believe in order for us to stay in power, we have to limit the right to vote. That's not the way you do it. You, you work on your platform. You work on your policy. You share your message. You don't attack democracy and keep people from voting. In, in Texas, the shifting demographics of people uh, who are Latinx, who are Latino, who are in that space. Uh, same thing in Florida, but also in Texas. And I think students need to know this. They have made it more difficult If you are a student, a college student in Texas, for you to vote in the state of Texas, making the claim that you don't live there. Well, my son is at Morehouse College. He lives in Atlanta. He comes home to visit us, but he votes in Atlanta now. Here you have the most experienced legislator uh, who's worked in the Senate. There is no other person currently functioning in government that has the experience in terms of hammering out deals like Joe Biden. I want him to put the full force of his intellect in his office in order to pass a national framework, not an executive order. We need 
national protection. And if the Democratic Party fumbles the ball on this, then there are going to be serious repercussions uh, coming from a variety of communities, especially uh, the African-American church, because we have been supportive of the Democratic Party. But this is at the heart of democracy. If we lose our ability to be able to vote, it will have a chilling effect upon this nation. And there will be generations that are not yet born who will be looking back at us, uh, not weeping, but with anger of how we could not stand up uh, for the democracy uh, that we know is to be United States of America. Do you find yourself stunned or maybe it's just disappointment uh, that more than 50 years after Dr. King's assassination, we're still dealing with something like voter suppression? It's a continual fight. I'm not stunned. I'm not surprised. This is a continual fight. In, I believe it was 1863, where you had uh, the black codes that were put in place across the South uh, to restrict voting and the vagrancy laws uh, to re-enslave 500,000 African Americans through what we would call the sharecropping system, and today we would call mass incarceration, the way they were placed in in prison. Uh, The poll taxes, there's always been an opposition to living out the promises of America because people have been focused on how can I personally benefit, how can I make money off of this uh, particular legislation. But I believe uh, that it is the role of every citizen, and especially people who claim to be people of faith, to ensure that everyone has the right to vote regardless of your political position, regardless of your spiritual or religious affiliation, if you are humanist or atheist or agnostic, all of us deserve the right to vote in this nation. That is the only way that we will protect this nation for future generations. It's not through corporations. It's not through tax cuts. uh, It's not through that. It's through ensuring that we have the right to vote. Do you have a set date for when you'll eat again if if Congress doesn't pass this legislation? No, No, I don't. We've been talking about that. We'll be meeting tonight, actually. Uh, We meet every evening, uh, and we pray every evening, and then we do our strategy sessions uh, every evening. And uh, we have not yet uh, set a time period. But this is part of a larger fight. We do know that. Uh, Because even if we pass the legislation, uh, there are forces at work uh, that will begin that are attempting to undermine things on a local level from uh, everything from school boards to judges to see if they can chip away at particular legislative actions. And so we want to make sure that we are standing firm for our community and for the nation. Before I let you go, Reverend, I'm curious, do you get pushback from parishioners or church leaders when you step away from the pulpit and into the political arena? Well, I'm so delighted that I'm a part of Trinity United Church of Christ. And especially within the, in the black church tradition, there is not a demarcation between community and also church. There is an expectation that the minister will speak about How do you set the oppressed free? Uh, How do you uh, feed the hungry? And those are concerns, if you break down the word politics, which is polis, which means affairs of the city. And there's an expectation that if I'm to be the true pastor of Trinity, that I've got to be concerned about the affairs of the city and the spiritual 
physical and mental well-being of the community. That's Reverend Otis Moss III of Chicago's Trinity United Church of Christ. Thank you so much for joining us, Reverend. Well, that's it for today's Reset. Many paid the ultimate price so that all Americans can participate equally in our democracy. To follow this existential conversation, please keep subscribing to this podcast. And while you're there, please give us a rating. It helps people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and please come back tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.